We've been studying through the book of Romans. We're in uh, chapter 5 now, and Romans is all about the most important message in the world, which is the gospel, because Romans is all about the glorious gospel of God's grace. Paul loved the gospel. Paul wrote passionately about the gospel, and that's what we see here in Romans chapter 5. We see Paul's passion coming out about the gospel. Remember in the first half, of the chapter, uh, we looked at all the wonderful benefits, all the wonderful blessings of justification, uh, that we are justified in Christ, and because of that we have peace with God, we have access to God, we have hope, we have spiritual growth, we have reconciliation, we have all these things uh, because of our salvation, because of our justification. Then in the second half of the chapter is what we're looking at now, and in this chapter he makes kind of a logical argument which explains how salvation can be so awesome from one man, how one man, Jesus Christ, can save the whole world and give us all these wonderful blessings of justification. How can that be? How can we be saved because one man, Jesus Christ, died on a cross 2,000 years ago? How can that one act by one man save the entire world and save us all from our sins and give us all these wonderful blessings of justification? Well, he explains it. And he explains it by uh, telling us the, the comparison and the contrast between the two Adams. Adam, being the, uh, the one man created by God, Adam and Eve, in the garden. And then Jesus Christ, the tale of two Adams. Now, he doesn't call them two Adams here, but he does call them late, that later in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. He says the first Adam and the second Adam. He calls Jesus the second Adam. He doesn't call Jesus the second Adam here in Romans, but he does use that term uh, later on in 1 Corinthians 15. So, uh, so I've entitled it The Tale of Two Adams, and the fact that we are justified by the work of one man, Jesus Christ. By Jesus Christ, we can be justified, and that is compared then and contrasted to Adam. In some ways, they're similar. In some ways, they're different. But we are told here at the beginning uh, of our text in Romans chapter 5, in uh, verse 14 at the end of it, it says that Adam is a type of him who was to come. Adam is a type of Jesus Christ. So he starts out by by comparing the two of them, that Christ is like Adam, and that Adam is like Christ. Well, how is that? How is Adam a type of Christ? How is Adam like Christ, and how is Christ like Adam? Well, the the main flow of thought here is that they are similar in the sense that one man can have such a universal effect. One man can change everything for everybody. That's what Adam did, right? Adam sinned in the garden, and uh, he was judged by that. He was cursed for that. But also, everybody else was cursed because of that. The whole world was cursed by that. Eve was cursed by that. The serpent was cursed by that. The garden was cursed by that. And every descendant of Adam, which is everybody, which is you and me and everybody else, has been cursed by Adam's sin. The only one exception is Jesus because he was born of a virgin. But uh, other than him, everybody who had a normal birth uh, was cursed by Adam's sin. One man wreaked so much havoc in all of history, in all of the world. That's Adam. And then one man, Jesus, could undo all that damage. One man, Jesus, can save us from all that sin. 
One man, Jesus, can fill the earth with righteousness, where one man, Adam, filled the earth with sin. That's the the comparison. That's how they are similar. They're similar in the sense that one man can have a universal impact upon everything else. Adam had such an impact, and so did Christ. And by the way here, I'm just following the text but in the text, he, he doesn't mention Eve, does he? He just mentions Adam. I wish he mentioned Eve in the text so, so he could give her a little bit of the blame. But uh, he doesn't blame Eve. He, he blames Adam. He blames the man here. So on Father's Day, sorry, men, but we got to take the blame on this one, all right? Um, the text In the text, Paul does not mention the woman. He mentions the man, that Adam sinned, and because of Adam's sin, uh, the whole race was plunged into sin. Now, how did that happen? This kind of opens up a little bit of a a theological debate, a little bit of a theological argument. So for those of you uh, theological junkies out there, you uh, theological eggheads out there, there, there's a couple of different ways to look at how Adam's sin passed down uh, through all, to all mankind. There's a couple of, kind of two main ways of looking at it. The first one, and there's different titles for this, but it's called federal headship or representative headship. And that's basically the idea that Adam was just a, a representative of all mankind. That, uh, God didn't want to test everybody individually. He just wanted to, to get, have a representative test. And so he tested Adam in the garden. Adam failed. And his failure then is representative of all mankind. And so that we bear the, uh, the punishment for that. That his sin passed down to us because he represented us. He was our representative. It's kind of like our federal government. Not everybody goes to Washington and not everybody votes on the laws and the bills that are passed, uh, but we send a representative and the representative is supposed to speak in our place. And yet if we elect a bad one, we have to suffer for it, right? If we elect a bad representative, they make the wrong choice. We all suffer from the wrong choices. Well, that's the way uh, federal headship works, that Adam represented all of mankind. The other one is called a seminal headship or natural headship. There's different ways of looking at that. Uh, this was Augustine's view, and so some people call this the Augustinian view, this, the seminal headship, and that is that all mankind was in seed form, seminal form, in Adam. That you and I were actually there in the Garden of Eden. In, uh, in seminal form, in seed form, we were there with Adam, and therefore we participated in the sin. The choice that he made affected us because we were in him. It's the seminal headship of Adam representing the whole human race. Now, I think um, the seminal headship has a, a little more biblical background. I mean, both of them you can make some biblical arguments for. But, but I like the seminal one because it has a little bit um, more argument that is based on that idea, that thinking. Uh, if you want to do a study in, in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 7, you remember there's a strange argument in there, and it's an argument about uh, priesthood. There's the, the Levitical priesthood, the descendants of Aaron and a Levi, uh, compared to the Melchizedekian priesthood, which is only one man, Melchizedek, in the Old Testament. 
And uh, he didn't have any descendants. It's, it's not a priesthood that was passed on. It was just one man, Melchizedek. And uh, the argument goes that the Melchizedek priesthood was superior to the Levitical priesthood because Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek. But do you remember the story? The story was that Abraham met Melchizedek and Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. Okay, that's the story. Levi wasn't even born yet. Levi's father wasn't even born yet. Uh, Levi's grandfather wasn't even born yet. But Levi's great-grandfather, Abraham, paid tithes to Melchizedek. And in Hebrews chapter 7, it says that Levi, in a sense, in seed form, seminal form, Levi was in Abraham, his great-grandfather, paying tithes to Melchizedek. It sounds like seminal headship, doesn't it? That's what it sounds like. That Levi, in seed form, was in Abraham, his great-grandfather. And so Levi gets the credit. In this case, we get the blame for being in Adam. But in Levi's case, he gets the credit for being in his great-grandfather, Abraham, while Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. So it's kind of a strange argument, but it supports uh, the idea of seminal headship that we all sinned in Adam and his sin was passed down uh, to us because uh, we, we all bear responsibility, we bear guilt, uh, that the sin nature was passed on to us. That's why we are sinners. That's why we choose sinful behavior. That's why young kids choose the wrong choices. Young kids rebel and disobey against their parents. Why is that? We sin because we're sinners. We sin because we were born with the sin nature. We sin because of Adam's sin nature passed down to us. Uh, And so that's a little bit of a theological distinction there. But uh, it it is kind of interesting that this touches on that here in Romans chapter 5. That Romans chapter 5 becomes the, uh, the arguing point between those two theories of how Adam's sin passed down to us. Uh, but the main point is that we we all are affected by Adam's disobedience, that his sin passed down to us. And, and that is used then as an argument to show how Christ's salvation then can come to all of us. I know it doesn't make logical sense. In fact, that's how unbelievers will, will sneer at Christians and mock Christians and say, really, you're putting all of your faith in a Jewish carpenter who died on the cross 2,000 years ago, who died a bloody death? You think that is your salvation? You think that is your, the basis for your justification? Yes, we do. It's taught right here in the Bible. Yes, it is. The blood of Jesus can save everybody from their sins, just like the sin of Adam corrupted everybody. Just like Adam's sin spread to the whole world, so Jesus' salvation is offered to the whole world, to to all those who will receive it, to all those who will believe it. That is the the contrast uh, and the comparison between Adam and Jesus, the first Adam and the second Adam, Jesus. Adam is a type of Christ in the sense that one person has a universal effect upon everybody else. So, so practically that means that we are guilty of Adam's sin. And just like we talked about in Sunday school this morning, the crucifixion of Jesus, that we are guilty. It was our sin that put Jesus on the cross. Since we sinned in Adam... 
It was our sin that Jesus had to die for. It was our sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. We are, are guilty of the, the blood and the crucifixion of Jesus. The, uh, the poet Horatius uh, Bonar put it this way. He said, "'Twas I that shed the sacred blood. I nailed him to the tree. I crucified the Christ of God." I joined the mockery. We bear the guilt, the very guilt that caused Jesus to go to the cross. And Jesus' blood is universally um, available to all, to all who will believe it, to all who will receive it. Not everybody receives it, but it is available to all. Just like Adam's sin spread to all, so Jesus' salvation is available to all. So that is the first point of a contrast and comparison between Adam and Jesus. Then he goes into to great detail here. And I admit the detail is uh, it, it's a logical, systematic argument, but it gets kind of deep sometimes. And uh, sometimes it's hard to follow. So if, if you were lost during the reading of the, the terminology there, uh, maybe we can, we can pick up some of the meaning here. But I think you'll understand. I think you'll understand the flow as we go through it. Look at these, uh, the, the other contrast in comparison. In verse 15, there's a contrast uh, and, and comparison uh, between the gift and the sin. Now, I, I say sin because uh, that's the generic term. There's other terms that are used here in the passage. It speaks of the trespass. It speaks of the transgression. Uh, those are all different words for sin, but I just use the generic term sin. All right, and so you have a, a contrast between the gift and the sin. Uh, the, the the sin is the sin of Adam. The gift is the gift of Christ. In verse fifteen, the free gift is not like the offense or the sin. For if by one man's offense or sin, that's Adam's sin, many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounds to many. So the gift abounds to many through the the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, uh, just like the sin of Adam spread to many. Uh, the, The big difference is Adam's is so negative. That Adam's was a curse. That Adam's sin brought death and condemnation. Whereas Christ's gift is a gift of life. So, so that is the, the contrast and the comparison. So from, from here on now, he's, he's, um, he's comparing them in the sense that one is greater. He's showing us how much greater Christ is than Adam. How much greater all of Christ's gifts are than Adam's sin. So everything that Christ has to offer is so much greater than what Adam passed on to us. So so you have this, this comparison, and Jesus and all of his gift of salvation is the winner. They're the, the ones that are greater. Uh, so much more greater than everything else. The gift of Jesus is given freely. Uh, the sin of Adam is passed down. So really, uh, you didn't have a choice, did you? Um, whether you were going to receive Adam's sin nature or not. God didn't give you a choice. You were stuck with it from birth. All right. As soon as your parents got together, as soon as mom and dad came together, there was Adam's sin nature right there. Uh, you didn't have a, a choice. There was no escape clause. There was no opt out of this in nature. But with the gift of Christ, uh, it does demand a choice. 
You must receive the gift. The gift is offered to you, but you must receive it. In fact, that word appears, uh, this is later on down in verse 17, but it kind of gives you the key here in verse 17. Much more those who receive abundance of grace. See, it must be received. It doesn't work for everybody. It's available to everybody, but it doesn't do you any good. It doesn't work until you receive it. Those who receive the gift. So you do have a choice in the gift. The gift can be rejected if you do not believe in Jesus, if you reject his sacrifice. His blood is available for you. His sacrifice is available to you. His um, justification is offered to you if you would receive it. But you can reject it. It's a gift, but you, you can reject it. But it can be received. It's a choice that everybody must make. To those who receive, you have the gift of life, the gift of salvation, the gift of justification, uh, the gift that comes through Jesus. And it's so much greater than that old cursed sin that was passed down to us from Adam. The gift is greater than the sin. Then we have another comparison and contrast. This is in uh, verse 16. It's a similar one. Uh, And this is the the, the contrast between justification, which is through Christ, and that is so much greater than the condemnation, which is through Adam. We see that in verse 16. The gift is not like that which uh, came through the one who sinned, for judgment, which came from the offense, resulted in condemnation. That's Adam. Adam's sin resulted in condemnation. But the free gift, which came from many offenses, resulted in justification. And justification is so much greater than condemnation. In fact, condemnation was pretty easy, really. I mean, all Adam had to do was uh, take one bite, right? Just take the fruit, take a bite, and boom, you have condemnation for everybody in the whole world through all history. That's it. It was pretty easy. That's all it took. One disobedience, one sin, one bite of the forbidden fruit, and it was all over. But what Jesus did was much greater than that, wasn't it? You could use the illustration, uh, you could illustrate it this way. How hard is it to start a forest fire? It's probably pretty easy, right? Especially, well, maybe not now because we've had so much rain. But if it's dry and you have a lot of dry timber there, uh, you could start a forest fire with a match, right? You could start a forest fire with a cigarette. Just casually toss one aside in a dry spot of a forest. And before you know it, you have acres and acres and acres of of a blaze, of a flame. And it could be out of control in a very short time. It really doesn't take much to start a forest fire. That's what Adam did. Adam just took one bite, and then boom, it spread, and it was out of control before you knew it. It was like dropping a match in a dry forest. How hard is it to put out a forest fire that is raging and spreading over acres and acres of land and miles of terrain? Now, that's a different story, isn't it? It takes a lot more than one guy with a match or one guy with a cigarette. 
If you're going to put out a forest fire, it's going to take this huge team. It's going to take uh, tactical maneuvers. It's going to take firemen on the ground. It's going to take firemen in the air with airplanes. It's going to take all kinds of uh, chemicals and materials and uh, a lot of hard work and a lot of sweat and a lot of planning and engineering goes into that. That is quite a, uh, a process, and I admire those who are able to do that. I admire those that go out there and, and fight the, the forest fires. It's amazing what they do. It's an amazing job that they do. But it takes a lot, doesn't it? It costs a lot, doesn't it? It's, it's, a, it's a major thing to put out a forest fire. One guy with a match can start it, but putting it out is a, is a great feat. Well, that's the way it is with our salvation. All it took for Adam was one bite, and we're plunged into condemnation and wrath and sin. That was, easy. That was the easy part. The hard part is what it took for Jesus to fix it. What did it take for Jesus to, to offer forgiveness for our sins? Well, that took the cross. That was the only answer. That was the only way. And we studied that in Sunday school this morning, the path to the cross, how Jesus suffered, how he bled, how he died on our behalf. We were the ones that deserved it. It was, it was our sin that put him there, but he took our place, and he died for our sins. It was a much greater work than Adam could have ever done. Adam took one bite and, and plunged the whole world into sin. Jesus had to pay the price. He had to take all the sins upon his shoulders, upon that cross. He took our place. So the, God the Father had to turn his back on God the Son. So there's this rift in the very Godhead itself. And Jesus took all of our sins upon him, and he shed his precious blood on our behalf. That, that justification that, that is much, much greater than the condemnation that, that Adam did. Adam's condemnation is universal, but uh, Christ's justification is so much greater. It costs so much more for him to do. He was the only one that could have done it, and he did it sacrificially for us. Adam is a type of Christ. The gift of Christ is greater than the sin of Adam. Justification through Christ is greater than condemnation through Adam. Life in Christ is greater than death in Adam. This is in verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. By the way, that's one of our key words in our passage here is reign. That's one of the, the key words. And another key word is one. One is repeated several times, and many is repeated. That's the contrast. One man causes many reactions, uh, influences many people. And um, then you have the reign of death and sin through Adam, and you have the reign of life and righteousness through Jesus. So these are some of the key concepts, some of the key words. But life in Christ is greater than death in Adam. Adam sinned, and what did God promise Adam when he, when he gave him that command, he gave him the one command, didn't he? One command, now do not take of that fruit, and yet Adam failed that one command. But he said, in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. That was God's promise. And that's exactly what happened. Adam didn't physically die on that day, but he spiritually died on the day. He was separated from God on that day. And uh, death came upon all mankind. If you read back in the Genesis chapter 5, uh, the, the genealogy, what happened to Adam, what happened to Adam's son, what happened to Adam. And, and, and this was a long time ago, and they lived a long time. 
800 years, 900 years they lived. We think, well, that's a long, lengthy life. That's a lot longer than we live nowadays. But they didn't live forever, did they? Adam died. Seth died. Every descendant of Adam died. That is the conclusion of of Genesis chapter 5. Adam died. Adam had a son. His son died. Adam had a grandson. His grandson died. Adam had a great-grandson. His great-grandson died. Every generation died. They lived a lot longer than we could ever imagine, but they didn't live forever. They all died. Death passed upon all men. But the life that we have in Christ is much greater than the death that we have in Adam. Perhaps one illustration, uh, one way of looking at this is to compare what happened through uh, Adam and his descendants with what happened to angels. See, angels were all a direct creation of God. Uh, God did not create an Adam angel and an Eve angel and put them together and then they reproduced little baby angels. Okay, that did not happen. That is not in the Bible. Uh, each individual angel is a direct creation by God and each individual angel had a choice to make whether to continue in obedience to God or to disobey God in rebellion in in Satan's rebellion when Satan rebelled against God Uh, many of the the created angels chose to go with them so in that sense mankind is different from angels because mankind we're all descendants from Adam and Eve Right, we all share the same uh, DNA strand from, from Adam and Eve. We are all sinners because of Adam and Eve, but because of that, we can all be saved through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to die for the, for the entire race of mankind. But you know what? Angels who sinned against God, who fell with Satan, God's answer for that was to prepare them a place. And the place that he prepared for Satan and his fallen angels is the place of hell. Hell wasn't created for mankind. Hell was created for Satan and his fallen angels. Unfortunately, those who reject Christ will will end up there too. But that wasn't the original intent of hell. Hell was created for, for Satan and his angels. God did not send his son to die for angel kind to die for fallen angels so that fallen angels could be saved that did not happen because each individual angel was a creation of God and each individual angel had a choice and once they made that choice it was locked in there was no turning back there was no salvation from that so I'm thankful that we unlike the angels that that we are descendants of Adam and Eve and that even though we, we bear Adam and Eve's sin, that means that we can also be saved by one man. And the life that we have in Jesus Christ is much greater than the death that we have in Adam. Uh, the next two are kind of similar. They're kind of synonymous, but just different words, different ways of looking at the same concept. Uh, one of them is the righteousness compared to Adam's sin. And again, sin is the generic term for sin. Trespass, transgression, uh, they're all different words for sin. Uh, Christ's righteousness contrasted with Adam's sin. This is in verse 18. Therefore, through one man's offense, that sin, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, that's Jesus obeying the Father, going to the cross, that righteous act uh, is the free gift. The, The free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. So Adam disobeyed God, 
and the whole world suffered as a result. We're all sinners as a result. Jesus obeyed God. He obeyed to the end. He obeyed to death. He obeyed to the cross. Through the suffering and the agony of the cross, Jesus was obedient to the Father. And that act of righteous obedience, that act of righteousness, is greater than Adam's sin. It's put in, the, the same concept is put in different words in, uh, in verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so through one man's obedience, many will be made righteousness, or righteous. So there you have Christ's obedience is greater than Adam's disobedience. Uh, number five and number six are the same thing, but just different words to describe them. Christ's righteousness versus Adam's sin, or Christ's obedience versus Adam's disobedience. And Christ's obedience is so much greater than Adam's disobedience. And there's one more uh, that is found in the passage here, and that is the reign of grace, which is far greater than the reign of sin. Look at verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. So you have sin abounds to everywhere, to all people, right? But grace, God's grace is greater. God's grace, grace is bigger. God's grace covers all of the sin. Verse 21. So that sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the wonderful gospel of grace. That from Adam on, sin reigned. That's all we had was sin. All we had was condemnation. All we had was just was uh, wrath, God's wrath coming down upon us. Now God provided sacrifices in the Old Testament that would atone for those sins, that would provide cover for those sins, but those sins were not taken care of until Jesus died on the cross. And when he died on the cross, now we have grace. Now grace reigns. Grace reigns supreme. We have victory over sin. The reign of grace is far better than the reign of sin. Notice he ends the passage through Jesus Christ our Lord, uh, just like he, be, he began the passage. In uh, verse 11, right before verse 12, he says, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And in fact, if you're diagramming, did anybody try to diagram this crazy paragraph that we read here in the, the second half of Romans chapter 5? It starts with some phrases. Uh, therefore, in, in verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all have sinned. There, we still haven't gotten to a subject and a verb yet, all right? Just a bunch of phrases. And then uh, in verse 13, you get the parenthesis, the beginning of the parenthesis. And my New King James Bible has a parenthesis there. And where's the, the end of the parenthesis? Not down till the end of chapter 7, uh, verse 17. All that big along is just a parenthesis. We still don't have the conclusion of the sentence yet. We still don't have a subject and a verb yet. Uh, this is Paul pouring his heart. He starts through the Lord Jesus Christ, and then, and then he starts this argument that he doesn't even really complete his sentence until verse 18. And then he ends uh, the, the whole passage in verse 21 with that same phrase, through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's so overwhelmed with the salvation that we have, the gospel of grace through Jesus Christ, that this just pours out of him, that this argument of the two Adams, that Jesus is so much better than anything that Adam did to us. Adam just did all the bad stuff to us, but Jesus Christ offers all the good stuff to us. Righteousness, forgiveness, eternal life, justification, 
through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's close with a word of prayer.